Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 319. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo. You'll find him at twitter.com slash Dave Rabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. Also, thank you to All About Jazz for carrying this show on their website. You'll find them at allaboutjazz.com, and they have a widget which you can put on your website that will show the latest episode of the Jazz Session. And if you do that, let me know because I will mention you in my newsletter. You can subscribe to that newsletter at thejazzsession.com. Just click on the mailing list link, and you'll get an email each Monday that lets you know who's on the show that week and the following week and has some other interesting links that you might enjoy in the jazz world. Also, this show, although it's free for you to listen to, is not free for me to make. So if you like what you hear, please do become a member. We had a a fun drive earlier in the year to make it to 100 paying members, uh, which uh, we successfully did, but the show actually needs many more than 100 members if it's going to be viable for the long term. So please consider becoming a member for as little as $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Today we have part two of my interview with Gerald Wilson, the composer and band leader. When we last left off on episode 318, Gerald Wilson had been telling us the story of his life, and he'd gotten to the point where he was assigned to a Navy base outside of Chicago to play in the band there. And so we'll take up the story at that point after a little bit of music. allowed to live off the base oh right? yeah oh yes you yeah. didn't have to stay on the base if you could afford to to rent yourself a room in chicago you you could stay there you know i mean and, and that's what i did because i had lived in chicago sure I mean, yeah i had lived in chicago 
And uh, so we did that all that time in the Navy and uh, and having nothing to do but write and play, I became more, uh, really, a better at what I was doing. So the chief of, of us, white uh, fellow by the name of Chief Oaks, he, one day he came to me and he handed me a little piece of paper and he said, Gerald, this is a number I wrote for my wife. He was a musician, of course. And he said, I wish you'd take a look at it and tell me what you think about it, you know. So I took it, and we had about seven other arrangers, good arrangers. I mean, they were all good, the guys that played. So some of them saw the chief give me that paper. Well, he had given it to every one of them. <laughs> But they didn't do anything with it. They didn't do anything. And I took it, and I looked at it. It was a little dirty piece of uh, lead sheet, you know. And it was correct. He was a musician. I said, I'm going to make this the best number that the band has to myself. So I'm living in Chicago, like I said. And where I lived, I had uh, I lived with a family that had a baby grand piano. And I, I'd go in there and I worked it out. I worked this number out. And man, when we played it, it became the biggest number that we had in the book. And the chief was elated. You know what I mean? And the chief, chief told Mr. Gerald he, how much he liked it. And the chief told, you know, in the barracks, if you're in the back, there's a guy over you, you know what I mean? Who, t you know, if you're doing something wrong, they'll put you on whatever they call it, you know. Uh, you're going to have to pay some dues or something, right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so the chief, Chief Oak told him, said, look, told this guy, said, look, don't bother Gerald. He comes in here when he wants to, and he leaves when he wants to. See, we could leave every day at 4 o'clock. Okay. If you, and if you could go on into Chicago. And that's what I was doing because I was, see, I was going into Chicago every night, you know. And it became the biggest number, biggest number in the band. So now they got some really fine arrangers there. They got a, a guy I knew from California who later worked with Elber, Elvis Presley, wrote all his music for MGM. He was a fine writer. Now they all wanted to do something with the number. <laughs> so they had a guy that made an arrangement on it. His name was Dudley Brooks. Dudley, Dudley wrote one for the marching band. Then over here there was a guy who who had a see we had an octet there that sang, and this guy was an expert at vocal music, and he wrote a, 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 a arrangement on it that they were singing. <laughs> <laughs> so they had this whole. Then they would put all of this together, and then they would end it with mine. And uh, after that time. Yeah, nobody bothered me or anything in the world, you know. Yeah. So everything was going good, and uh, uh, I had a problem, uh, a medical problem. I had a very bad case of sinus trouble, and they were experimenting uh, at the hospital about because the, they had a gang of guys in there all messed up with sinus trouble. So uh, I had to go to sick bay. 
And they said, well, we got to put you in the, in, the, in the hospital. They put me in the hospital, and they worked on me. They had this new thing they do. You put this tray under on on you here like this, and they would take these needles and stick them up your nose, mm. and they work on you, and they work on you, you know, and uh, cause you to have headaches, you know. So they, they worked on me and worked on me, and... Uh, it never did get me. I still had my migraine. I used to have headaches bad. I had them bad when I was a kid and everything. And uh, it was going. So one day they said, okay, Gerald, uh, you're okay. Now it's time you have to go back to ser to service, you know. Uh, I said, well, look, I said, I'm, I'm still having these headaches I got here. And I, I don't, I'm not ready to go. I want you know, keep on working on me or whatever. So no, you know, they insisted that hey, you got to go back to the service. And so I said, well, no. I mean, I'm not going back to the service until you, you know, until I'm well. And I, and I, so the the, the lady and the nurse, the nurse, she said, I so I said, no, I'm not going back. You know. So then. She went out, and out of the, and, and, and a little while later, I could tell something had happened because when an officer walks in, like you know, in the hospital there, you, it's noisy. You know, guys are talking. They're in beds over here. They're talking or whatever. You know, maybe they're just up walking around and stuff. And so uh, I heard. I went. I, all of a sudden, it got silent. So when that, when an officer walks in. Everybody, everything comes to attention, and it's, and it's complete silence. So, and I heard him say, I heard the nurse say, well, that's him back there on the top bunk. I knew that was me, who she's talking about. <laughs> sure. and the, the, the man came in, and, and he was a big man. He had braid all up his arm, you know what I mean. He's mm -hmm. a big officer. He said, okay, Gerald, says, uh, you know, you got you to gotta get up and go, go back to service. I said, well, I'm not getting up. I'm not well. And I said it again. I kept saying, I said, no, I'm not going. And I just said, I'm not going. Going. And all of a sudden, you know, he said, okay, well, get up. You're going over to the main side. Okay, the main side. See, the Navy was, you know, it was integrated, but still it was segregation. It still was like, you know, segregation on the base going on. And the main side is when they said you're going to the main side, they're getting ready to discharge you. Mm. So you go up over there and you don't do anything. You just say, hey, just you just lay around until the day call. They come and call, so so and so, on, and you discharge. Now I got discharged, but I got honorable discharge. I didn't have one black mark against me the whole time I had been in the navy. And the doctor said, hey, Jay Wilson, you, you don't have one, not one mark against you. You've served, and you have served well. <laughs> so all I did was that wait, and that wait, and then one morning he came in, boom, I'm on my way out. Honorable discharge and everything, which is what I have, and that's what happened. But I was I was telling the truth all the time about it. I, I had terrible headaches, man. Sometimes when I was with the Lunsford Band, I would have headaches so bad I couldn't play. I just couldn't play. And, and, 
but it was a long time before I got uh, together. I don't know how it happened. I didn't do anything special, but all of a sudden, I now I'm 93 now. I haven't had a headache in years, 30 years. Of, you know what I mean? I haven't taken an aspirin in 30 years. I haven't taken anything. I, you know, I haven't been sick or anything. And uh, so I, I must have done something right. <laughs> So what did you do when you got out of the service? Oh, I got, I got out of the service. I uh, went on back to Los Angeles, and I started playing around there, and around town there. With different bands, I played with the quartet there. It was uh, Lester Young's brother. Lee? Yeah, you heard of Lester Young? Sure, and his brother was Lee. Yeah. Lee, yeah. Well, I played with Lee's uh, quintet. We played in nightclubs, we played a little dances and things, and I worked with him a while. Then I started w working with Phil Moore. You ever heard of Phil Moore? I have. Okay, well, Phil Moore was like, Phil Moore was one of the greatest writers ever in the world, and I had met him the day that the, the first day I ever pl played in, in uh, Los Angeles with Jimmy Lunsford, because Phil Moore came out to our rehearsal and wanted us to play one of his numbers. And Jimmy Lunsford band, and we played it. And I said, gee, this guy can really write, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and found out this guy was already working for Nathaniel Shilkret. Have you ever heard that name? I haven't, no. Nathaniel Shilkret was a white band uh, musician and the band leader at MGM. Mm. Phil Moore was doing all his work. Phil was doing the work for movies already. I said, this guy's really something. He's, you know, jazz band didn't mean anything. And then I started working with Phil, Calvin Jackson. You ever heard of Cal? Mm -hmm. Calvin had written some for the Lunsford Band when I was 
with, with the Lunsford man. Well, Calvin Jackson had come to California, and he was a masterful piano player. And Phil was writing these tough arrangements. I'd look up, and there would be all of this string section here. There would be this English horn, oboe, and all of this thing. And, he, and Phil could really write. There was no playing around with it at all. And he liked me, see, and Phil, because I was playing trumpet at that time, and I was playing trumpet. And one day Phil gave me this book, and it's a book called Orchestration by Cecil Forsyth. You can get it now. It's on paperback. You can go to any music store. You can get that now. Phil gave me this book, and he said, Gerald, you read this book from the first page to the end. You gotta read it, and you gotta read every page, and it tells you what every mu every instrument could do and what it couldn't do. You know what I mean? So I said, "Gee, I want I want to write like Phil someday," you know. And then I read that book, and I read it. It tells you it's got pages and pages on the violin, on the viola, on the cello, English horn, uh, oboe, every instrument in the, in the big orchestra, symphony orchestra. And I did. I studied it hard, and I studied it hard, you know. And then my first chance, I finally first got my chance to write for strings and everything. And I was writing, I had so much work I didn't know what to do with it. I was writing for Capitol Records, you know, out in LA. And uh, Nancy Wilson came on the scene and uh, the, the, the A&R man came to me one day and says, look, Gerald, come upstairs, went upstairs. That's when they had, uh, and I was, I started writing for Duke Ellington in 1947. See, I had that covered good. You know, <laughs> I knew Duke. I knew him. With Mel. He was a nice man. When I was in school in Cass Tech, uh, I, I went up to him and I told him, you know, I listen to your band all the time and everything. He was real nice. Well, anyway, what happened... Yeah, they showed me this thing, these albums. They had three albums laying on the floor. They were Nancy Wilson records. He, he says, there they are. There's three albums there. He said, we can't give them away. And they were bought by big, big-time arrangers, uh, you know, and everything. And he said, we want you to do, what would you do with her, Gerald? And I had, now I had, I had started... I was not working for him, but Buck Ram. Have you ever heard of Buck Ram? No. Well, Buck Ram was a white guy who owned the Platters. You ever heard of the Platters? Sure. Well, he owned them. and uh, But he was a band leader. I had heard his band from Fort Wayne, Indiana, when I was a kid. My brother and I, we listened to him. He had a good band and everything. He wrote Twilight Tone, okay. Twilight Time, a lot of hit records. But now he had the Platters. But uh, I'm getting away from my story right now. So they brought on Nancy Wilson and said, well, what would you do with her? So now I'm working with Buck Ram. Buck, and I was learning that this little thing, they were coming in, this kind of music was coming in. I said, well, the first thing I would do with her, we'd pick an old popular number 
And that was my foolish heart. You've heard that number, of course. my foolish heart. I said, I would take it. I'd take a string section, you know, violins, violas, cello, and then I'd have the piano. He'd be make the triplets, you know, that, that, you know, does it. And so we took it. We recorded. It was a big hit for Nancy Wilson. Like a love tale, beware my foolish heart. How white the ever constant moon. Take care, my foolish heart. There's a Then we did did another cut of on another number called the Seventh Son. That's Willie Dixon's number, uh, you know, blues singer. Put with the string section and everything playing playing that. Another big hit for Nancy Wilson. Now about that time, my band is now we already tough. I've already played the Apollo Theater here. I played the Apollo in 1946. I followed Duke Ellington, <laughs> and Jimmy Lunsford followed me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to get the, the write-up from the Daily News, the New York Daily News. I didn't. I, I read it when I got the day, and then I forgot. And then I thought, I want, gee, I should have that. But... They gave us a big write-up in the in the New York Daily News. I think it was New York Daily News, you know. And uh, and, from, and I, my band, my band was tough. I had Snooky Young in my band. I had a young trumpet player that I had met in the Navy named uh, Hobart Dotson. He sure. Was, yeah, you heard Hobart? Yeah, he played with Sun Ra too. After yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my man. And then we were tough. We opened up. Now, I had already met Dizzy Gillespie, see, when I was in school. Dizzy came to Detroit with Edgar Hayes' band. You heard of Edgar Hayes? That's a, one of the Mills Blue Rhythms band. So Dizzy came there, and he stayed in Detroit for three months. So every day we'd be down in the club there at the Plantation Club fooling around with chords and things and <laughs> writing little things for trumpets to play and everything. Both of us wanted to be writers, you know, in those days. And uh, and Dizzy and I became like that, you know. And, and in fact, when I got to New York to join Jimmy Lunsford, Dizzy's the guy that came and got me and said, hey, Jeff, come over and show the ropes in New York. Took me down on... on uh, what it was Lenox Avenue to Ms. Collins and he said now if you're out of money 
you ain't got any money, and you gave no place to stay, come here, Miss Collins. She had rooms there, rooms there. She, she'll let you stay until you get some money. If you have no food, if you can't eat, you got no money to eat, she'll let you eat until you get some money. So he was showing me all the rules. He was playing with Lucky Millen. Sure. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so anyway, all of that stuff ha happened good for me uh, in New York here. And uh, But like I said, my band... We were tough. We were tough. My, my first, we op we would open up with one of Jesus' number. You call uh, the one that he wrote. You know, uh, what is it? Donna. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know what that is? Yes. You know that number? Well, you know what that number's from? No. Okay, that's the chords from an old old. My mother used to play it on the piano called Whispering. Oh, okay. Whispering is the name of it. And I, so I wrote this arrangement on it, on it, on this number, you know, and uh, that we would open up with that. <laughs> We'd open up that, and man, <laughs> I had, like I said, we had everything going. I had a, the, my band was really tough. Played here, played at the Apollo, got right out of the out of the Apollo Theater that night when we closed, got on the bus, went to Chicago. We played at the biggest nightclub in Chicago for 10 weeks, 10 weeks. My band was the toast of Chicago. I got this young band, and they had, the, the, the guy that had the big show there, they had chorus girls and everything. They had done num uh, numbers, the dances and everything on all of my music. And we say that 10 weeks, you know, everything was going great for me. I had a record contract, already had a record contract. And uh, then Norman Granz, you ever heard of Norman Of Grand? course. Yeah, he did a specialty series of me on a record company called Black and White Records. I had hit records there. In the meantime, while I was in the Navy, see, I had started writing for Cab Calloway. Paul Webster, who played with the Lunsford Band, 
had joined Cab Calloway's band. So he told Cab, he said, you know, there's a kid here in the Navy. This is while I was in the Navy. He said, there's a kid here uh, that, that writes, his name is Gerald Wilson. And uh, Cab told him, he said, well, tell him to bring a couple of numbers by. They had an Illinois jacket was in the band at that time. Wow. And I knew Illinois, by the way. But anyway, uh, he said, tell him to bring a couple of numbers down, you know, and we'll see what it's, what it's like, you know. So I took a couple of numbers down, you know, he liked them, you know. He said, well, well look, anytime you write anything you want, anytime you want, because Cab had plenty of money. I mean, he was one of the biggest drawers in the world. He said, he said, anytime you want to write, write whatever you want. Send it to this address, to New York. And I'd, I'd do that. And as soon as I sent, it, sent the thing in, man, a couple of days later, the check is in the mail and back. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, and all the things I write, I could write a number called Cruising with Cab, you know. And, uh, and I just wrote for Cab making money, you know. Sure. I, mean? I later played in this band. I later played with Cab in a quartet at the Dunes Hotel in Vegas, like, for three months. Wow. Nothing but a trumpet and bass, drums, and piano, you know, so just making money in those days. Sure. Yeah. But anyway, everything went for me well. Um, my band went well. Uh, everything, Las Vegas was a terrible town uh, for blacks. Yeah, like Duke Ellington and Ella Fitzgerald got to go through the back door. Mm. They can't come past the stage where they were performing. The same, you know what I mean? All of that's going on. But we work, I'm working there. I worked in Vegas. And then one day, I, my band, was, I went for six weeks in the Flamingo Hotel. And it was the day that the NAACP had signed the contract with the Flamingo and the whole Strip. There would be no more segregation on the Strip. And my band was the first band to ever do that. Wow. We were the ones we didn't go in the front. We'd go in the front door. we eat in the restaurant. we gamble. we do everything. <laughs> you know, everything just went great for us. You know what That's I mean? That's great. <laughs> yeah. Before we uh, before we finish, can you say a few words about your most recent record, Legacy, which is kind of a like a love song for Chicago, really celebrating that? Yes, city. I'll do that. But I don't, I want to tell you something else. You ought to Please. have here. I'm happy to have you tell me as much as you want. Yeah. I just don't want to take up your whole day. Okay, <laughs> but I, you but tell me this, as much this as you want. I want you to have because Please. this is very important. Please. Okay, I have now studied this book with. Uh, Phil gave me. I have studied it hard, yeah, you know. So Zubin Mehta came to Los Angeles, and he was the conductor for the Los Angeles Philharmonic. Mm -hmm. And he's a man that always wants to help people who are doing things. So he wanted to help black composers. So he had Ray Brown, the bass player, who married Ella Fitzgerald. He wanted to honor black composers. So he had Ray to make out a list of the people that he felt that could do that. So 
They made the list out. My name was on it, okay? And by that time, I, I, I know how to write for every instrument in the symphony orchestra. I can write for it. So they had this whole list. Okay, while it's going down, Oscar, I mean, uh, Oliver Nelson. Mm -hmm. You know Oliver? Who wrote Blues and the Abstract Truth, for example. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And uh, Oliver Nelson and I were in Salt Lake City at the University of Utah. And we were working with the band there for a week, and then we'd do a concert with them, okay? So every evening when I'd come in from doing the work there at Utah, I, I started writing. I was writing on my number, and I, I'd be writing. And Oliver came over to my room, and he says, what is that you're writing on, Gerald? I said, Oliver, this is a number that the Los Angeles Philharmonic is going to play. And I said, Ray Brown made out of this, but he left your name off. I knew Oliver could write for that because I had heard a number that he wrote for the Eastman Rochester Orchestra. You understand? And so he said, so Oliver says to me, who, who, who's on the list, you know? I said, well, it got so-and-so and so on. I'm not going to call their names. I'm not here to say <laughs> anything about anybody. I said, so-and-so. He said, oh, he can't make it. I said, so-and-so is going to be. He said, oh, no, he can't make it. And he, I said, so-and-so. And I went on down the list. He said, none of those guys can make it. None of them. I said, oh, Oliver. He said, none can make it. One by one, they dropped out. All of a sudden, there was nobody left. I told Zubin, I said, well, we can put Oliver Nelson on there and let him do his number that he's already written for the Eastman Rochester. And we got him on the show, got him on the concert at the Music Center in Los Angeles. And Oliver was right. None of those guys made it. <laughs> None of them. And now these are big guys. These are big names. Yeah, they're the biggest names and got plenty of money and everything. Couldn't make it. Could and never made it. After or before. I did four other orchestrations for the Los Angeles Philharmonic after that. So uh I I wanted you to know that. As I can do that for the whole symphony orchestra, the whole, and I use every instrument they had in the band, <laughs> and they re they rehearsed it, no mistakes. I use all all the time signatures you can think of, all. None of those guys could make it at all. I, but I had to let you know that. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> now, my other work is known. You know, I, work, I write for the movies. Sure. See, I wrote for Where the Boys Are. When Ebed Mimeo and George Hamilton come out, and not only that, I played my trumpet on it. You know, after that, I wrote for the guy that David Raxon, you know, David Raxon, who wrote Laura. He called me up, Gerald, come on, I got some music I'd like you to write for me, you know, for Love Has Many Faces with Lana Turner and Cliff Robertson. 
I was I got all offers universal I already had universal uh, uh, on there because I had done a, a thing over a short over at Universal with Nat Cole. Wow, Nat Cole! I became his. I used to, I, we played dates together. My band, Nat Cole. You know, so my band's going good. <laughs> I wrote for. <laughs> I, I said, well, I can you know I can write for anything you want. I don't care what it is. Then I was the music director on ABC's Red Fox Variety Show. I was the whole time. Then I stayed with Red Fox, Red Fox even after we, when the show was over. We, I went down to Vegas with him, stayed down in Vegas uh, conducting for him and everything for about, about, oh, about six months. Wow. Yeah, so so I've had a good good, good thing going for me. So tell me about Legacy, the new, uh, Legacy? The new record. Yeah, Legacy. Uh, this is the case now. Uh, I got I got my son Anthony, who first of all he can play the guitar. He's he's one of the finest guitar players in the world. He can write. He can write like mad. I got my grandson Eric Otis. His other grandfather is Johnny Otis, so you know who he is. <laughs> He's doing okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he he wrote his first composition for large orchestra and conducted it. Anthony wrote his number, that's own legacy, and conducted it. And I did mine. I always liked Igor Stravinsky. He's one of my favorites. Him and Aram Kachaturin, they're two mm-hmm. of my favorites. I like I like a lot of composers and everything, but those are two of my favorites. I decided I would, I saw, see, I saw uh, Igor Stravinsky conduct at the Hollywood Bowl, and he had his son, Sulima. Did you know he had a son named mm-hmm. Sulima? Sulima was playing the piano on this number that they played that day, and uh, I fell in love with his his stuff. It was Phil Moore who introduced me to the music of uh Stravinsky took me over to his house one day and said, "Okay, Gerald, listen to this." And man, I, he plays he played the Firebird or something. Wow, did you even <laughs> listen to that? You know what I mean? So I I, I decided I would uh, go on and make a jazz piece out of uh, out of uh, his number there, out of the Firebird. Now, when you do a variation on a composition. What I did was I took six of his notes, just six of his notes. You understand? That's all I use of his. Then I change. I have to change and put it in the in the in the form of jazz, mm. like the A A B A. Put it in the form to add it to uh, to get plenty of uh, and a lot of improvisation. Guys playing jazz on it. So I put that on for my I put that on for my part in legacy, and then I I like Giacomo Puccini, like his music. I remember when the three tenors was traveling with Zubin, he was conducting for them, and I, I fell in love with one of the numbers. It sounds so good, so I made a variation on it. That's Nessun Dorma, right? Yes, yes. That's, yeah, that's it. Now pronounce that for me again. I well. 
I'm not sure I'm right. But you're, I th- you're right. I think it's Nessun Dorma. That's what right. it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh-huh. So I made a, and then I put it in and jazzed it up. And uh, I think, what else did I have? Is that all I have in there? Have. You have some other pieces that are directly about the city of Chicago, right? Oh, so, yeah, yeah, Chicago. That was a commissioned piece by the Chicago Jazz Festival. And having lived there, see, I lived there when I was in the Navy and all that, mm-hmm. I knew Chicago over, you know. So I wanted to just let the people know these are some of the great places in Chicago you should see if you go to Chicago, if you are a tourist. And the people leave, living there will know what I'm talking about and what we're playing. I'm trying to show you what it's like in that area. And that's what I was doing. And uh, it came off great. came off great for me. And uh, I said, well, Chicago's got another good number. You know, when you, that toddling town, okay. I said, well, now, I'm not going to try to compete with Toddlin' Town <laughs> because that's a great little number. Sure is. And then if you got Frank Sinatra singing it, you know, no need to compete. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to make a ballad out of it, a mm. love song. That the, This is what how the Chicago Jazz Festival feel about the great city of Chicago and vice versa how the people of Chicago loves the people of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Shows that how much they love. So I'm going to make a love battle, ballad out of it. And that's what I did. If you'll notice in the very last part of it, you've got, they've got this ballad plan. And I, I was going to make it a beautiful ballad. <laughs> and that's what I did. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Mr. Wilson, it is, uh, I, I wish I could spend a week listening to these stories. It's been such well, a pleasure. Thank you very much for well, I think telling you got me. The, you got the stories I <laughs> want to tell. Anyway, Thank you very much. I have others that I don't want to tell. <laughs> Thank you so much for okay, your time. It's my pleasure. I'm glad, glad that you can get something out of it. Thank you.
That's Gerald Wilson from his new album, Legacy. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. If you enjoyed this interview, please do become a member for as little as 10 bucks a month. You can do it at thejazzsession.com slash join. And now get out there, if you will, and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.